Wow, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's such an honor to be able to join in this service here. I've been one of those who follows your services online. And so uh, when I met my brother, just forgotten his name, I, asked, I, I said, I do follow you online. So it's really an honor to be able to now physically join in the service here in Brooklyn. I just want to start by thanking my dear uncle, Uncle Richard, for just, uh, you know, taking good care of us. Not only coming to speak on Sunday, but ever since we came in last week, my wife and I, we've just felt really taken good care of. Of course, we were last Saturday at the wedding of our brother Chris and our sister Chanel. Congratulations. Congratulations. It was wonderful. So, um, really an honor to be able to join you. I hear we've been talking about seeking and saving the lost. So, I'm going to just join in that series today. Uh, I want to talk today about telling your story. And I'm going to start out by also sharing a bit of my story as we look into the Bible on the topic of sharing our story. Uh, I want to be very conscious of my time. So, I'm not going to waste a lot of time here at the beginning. I'm going to jump in uh, and in the course of the lesson, just get to introduce myself and share a bit more. I hope we're ready for the message this morning. Praise God. So telling your story is the topic of today's lesson. Um, when I was asked to speak, and of course, I had to pray, talking about seeking and saving the lost, uh, and I arrived at this. I arrived at the need to tell our story. I want to just start by saying, even this morning, through the singing and through everything else we're going to be doing this morning, uh, we're going to be doing a sermonion, so a sermon followed by prayer, and in our fellowship, everything we're trying to do is to remind ourselves of God's story. In fact, one of the songs we just sang was talking about the story, talking about Noah, talking about the story of the Bible. And so we are called not only to know that story, but to tell the story. And that fits really well into our series. The world does a great job at understanding the power of stories, uh, be it the news channels we watch. Uh, I mean, the power of story perverts uh, social media. Uh, the world understands that there's power in telling a story. There's a way a story gets to our hearts because a story carries emotion. A story carries a message much better. Okay? It communicates not only our thoughts, but it gives color and depth okay, to which otherwise uh, would just be like bland facts and material. When you tell a story, it allows people to connect with the message in a deeper way. When you look at Jesus, he did a lot of storytelling in his ministry. And so even as we reach out in our outreach, we got to become storytellers. We've got to become men and women who tell the story of God. Allow me, please, to just go ahead here and just share a bit more about myself. I was baptized 30 years ago. Just like Uncle Richard said, uh, that was me in uh, January 1993, uh, just a few, uh, maybe like two, three months after I got baptized. And the brother standing next to me is a medical doctor. 
So as I was diagnosed with cancer, uh, God worked it out that he met me in hospital and he's a brother in Christ. He became a disciple. He got uh, uh, right here in the U.S. He's a German, but he came to MIT, to, to Harvard for some cancer research work. Became a disciple. I think he started with Doc Weber. We used to be in Boston back then. And then got back home when the mission started in Berlin, Germany. And so met me in hospital was uh, the one that God used to take me through a bone marrow transplant. So I had cancer in the kidney, in the liver, and in the bone marrow. That's as good as dead, right? Uh, and so he's a, a cancer specialist. God worked it out. It's amazing what God did because uh, coming from a religious background, uh, from a Catholic background, that's where I came from, um, starting, you know, getting to read the Bible wasn't the common thing for people like me. And so when I was faced with cancer, I was, 21, I was 20 years old. I turned 21 in hospital. And uh, so here am I wrestling with this incredible, just, I mean, back then, this is 30 years ago, cancer was like almost equal to death, right? Research has come a long way. But back then, so while wrestling with the fact that I'm this young and I'm going to die, I will never forget a lady, I was telling my wife a few days ago, a lady who came to visit me in hospital. I'd met her among the African circles in Berlin, and she came visiting me. She brought a flower. She was very kind, very nice. She even helped me for the first time to come out of my bed and forced me to start making a few steps and try to walk. So she was so kind, took me around, I made some effort to walk, brought me back to my bedside, and then, after all that kindness, she shocked me by asking me, so Gilbert, how do you feel now that you know you're going to die? And I thought, did I really hear that? <laughs> okay. But here was I really wrestling with death. Okay. And so, in the midst of that, I started reading the Bible. I started searching for God from a completely new perspective. Okay, not out of religious, uh, you know, just living the religious life, which I've been living my whole life. But now I was faced with a real problem. I was faced with death. I was faced with the possibility of dying. And I was looking for help. And we might have people in the audience today, be it physically or virtually, who are in that place in their lives where they're looking for answers. They're looking for answers for existential problems. And, and somebody said, when you're in real problems, even prayer, you know, so these very long prayers we might we, we sometimes pray, when you're in real problem, you don't even have the energy to pray long prayers. You just cry out to God for help. And I remember a day when in hospital, uh, it got so bad, and I, and I really thought I was going to die, and I remember pushing myself out of the hospital room getting into the garden and finding a quiet spot in the hospital and flat on my belly, I just lay down and I cried out to God. I said, God, I've been told that you exist. And if what I've heard about you is true, if all the stories I've read and heard about you, if it is true, please don't let me die. Don't allow me die of this illness. So I was seeking for God. I don't know where we all are in our, 
I know if we get into people sharing their stories, spend some great time with our brother Winston, who picked us up yesterday. He shared some incredible stories from his life. I uh, spent time with Rick and Liz. I mean, our lives are full of stories of how God has intervened. And so for me, one of the things that really got through for me was this doctor in that situation where I was looking for God. Um, I also found myself opening up to know about God from the, from the Jehovah Witnesses. I was very lonely in hospital, and there was this Jehovah Witness lady who would constantly come visit and share scriptures with me. I was not just happy about the, what she shared, but I was happy to even have company, somebody come visit and be there. And so it got to a point where I had to make a decision on some very serious doctrinal issues, uh, blood transfusion, if you're familiar with the, the teaching of the Jehovah Witnesses, that was one of the issues I had to deal with. I told the doctors and I told him that I was going to stop taking blood. And so he didn't reveal his identity to me as a Christian. He talked to his bosses and they all flocked to my room and they said, we, we hear you want to stop taking blood. If you stop taking blood, then we can't continue the treatment because after every, every chemotherapy, they had to give me a lot of blood transfusion. So we can't continue because there's no way we can treat you with chemotherapy and you will not need blood. So long story short, in that battle, God used him to share a story from the Bible. That completely opened my eyes. It's in Matthew 12. I'll just quote it. Matthew 12, verse 1 to 14. The story of Jesus and the Pharisees criticizing him of healing somebody on the Sabbath. And the summary of that story is that Jesus tells them it is okay to do good on Sabbath. Okay? The law was created for man and not the other way around. And that story freed me up to change my mind. And that's how he studied the Bible with me. He would take his uh, uh, break times instead of going to the canteen to eat. He would come to my room, my hospital room, and study the Bible with me. Three weeks down the road, I made a decision and I got baptized. So that's a bit of the summary of my conversion story. And again, just a few uh, uh, images to help us see a bit of that story. I'm a bit stuck here. Excuse me. Uh, trying to move to the next slide. It worked really well the first time. Uh, let me see. Okay, perfect. There we go. So uh, here we see some pictures here. That's me in hospital. Uh, the picture on the left, maybe it's on your right. Is it uh, on, on your left? Yeah. On the left, that's me with some nurses and my mom. My mom came to be with me. In this room, I was locked up for one month going through bone marrow transplant with no immune system. So everything was covered. And on the right, that's Dr. Michael, the brother who God used to bring me to Christ. Um, and now, this is my baptism on the left. I got baptized in his bathtub in the flat where they were leaving. And uh, on the right-hand side, this is... 21 years later, not, actually not 10 years later, this is, uh, this is now uh, 20, uh, 2013, so that's a mistake. This is 21 years later, I was visiting Germany, and that brother is there with me, and we're standing right at the entrance of the same hospital where I'd been for about a year. I was a hospital for about a year. And now, look at me, God has blessed me with family. 
Okay? That's my beautiful wife right there with us. And God has blessed us with Joseph. He's going to turn four in October. We adopted him when he was two months old. Because seven, months in, uh, seven years into our marriage, we noticed that I was the problem because of all the chemotherapy I went through, fertility issues, that God has blessed us incredibly with a smart, wonderful boy. So that's a summary of my story, which leads to me sharing briefly about what I do currently. Like Uncle Richard said, I met him, uh, that must have been 94, when I moved to Abidjan from Germany. I was a student in Germany. At some point, with all that God did for me, I gave it all up, went back to Africa to serve, to serve the church. And so he came visiting. This was 94. I just moved to Abidjan, and he came visiting, preached. And then on a Sunday, I had the opportunity to meet him in person at Hervé and Florence home. And I'll never forget when Hervé introduced me to him and told him a bit of the story I just told you now. I still remember Uncle Richard tell, telling me, God has great plans. And that was, that, was, that was like 27 years ago. So many years down the road, I did actually serve 13 years on the church staff. Decided to go back to school, earn a degree because I'd interrupted my school to go in on staff. Went back to school, finished up, got a degree. Then my wife got me to move to Lagos, Nigeria. I'll never imagine in my life going to live in that city of 22 million. New York reminds me a lot of Lagos. And so, uh, because of my wife, we met at a singles conference. We started building a long-distance relationship. And I later on moved to live in Nigeria. Worked in the corporate world for a couple of years. Then lost my job after about seven years. And so, for the past four years, ever since I lost my job, I've fallen back on, I guess, I do own a company. I do do some work. But I use a lot of the flexibility I have now to travel around and encourage many churches that I saw either being sent out or I was part of. I've led the church in Cameroon. I've planted a church in another city. And so now I spend a lot of my time traveling to churches to go encourage and strengthen disciples. So on the map, uh, uh, this is a map of Africa, 54 nations. On this map, uh, everything in green uh, 19 countries in the past four years, I've been able to visit 19 countries to encourage and strengthen disciples. Uh, in yellow are countries I've already engaged with online, Ethiopia, Zambia, Zimbabwe, that I'm still planning to visit in person. And in fact, in October this year, I'll be privileged to visit the church in Angola, God willing, to go strengthen the churches there. So that's like a summary of my life and what kind of ministry God has brought out of coming from hospital, fighting, wrestling with death, and now that's what, that's the kind of life I live now. And so moving on after sharing my story, I just want to quickly just talk about Africa quickly. We do have five regions, and among those five regions across Africa, uh, okay, this is a map for this year. Let me quickly say something about a church I visited two weeks before we came here. The church in Gabon, okay, in Central Africa. So I visited this church, and when I asked them, when's the last time they had anybody come encourage them? They said it was five years ago. That was 2017. That any leader from anywhere came to strengthen and encourage their faith. And so I, I look out for those small churches 
that tend to be neglected. Uh, last year I was in Burundi, I was in Chad, Germany, I was in Bangui, Central African Republic, and these countries are often war-torn countries, and nobody wants to go there. And so going to Gabon was very fulfilling. I kept feeling like, what if I didn't come? Okay? They were so encouraged. And so that's a bit of the plan for this year, places I'm going to be going to this year. So now in Africa, we have in East Africa over 2,000 members uh, in 16 uh, churches across Africa. And there's a church that's being planted now in Uganda, Barara, out of a conversion that took place in a nearby town. A brother, Martin, who, who, who with others went to reach out to this brother called Paul. And so now Barara is a bigger city that are going to be planting a church to take care of, like this house church that emerged out of the conversion of Paul. I'm going to be quick here. In uh, Southern Africa, we have 22 churches, over 2,600 uh, members, and these are churches where Uncle Richard and Auntie Sarah have served, especially in East Africa, Southern Africa, and you will soon see uh, English West Africa. So this is uh, in Southern Africa. I'll be visiting the church in, in Angola very soon in October. But this is a couple that got converted. They came to visit members of their family in the capital city in Luanda. They became disciples. And they went back to their city where they came, come from in Benguela. And look at the group at the bottom there, bottom right. That's a group that has emerged out of just this couple being converted and going back to share their faith. God is working as people share their stories. Amen? Uh, now, I'm just kind of trying to be quick here. Uh, from Southern Africa, we move to French Africa. Okay, having a bit of challenge here. It's going to work. So, in, in, in French Africa, while I try to change this, um, the region has so uh, grown, exactly, we're working now, it's grown so much that it's been split into two regions. So, you have French Central Africa, I just met my sister, Kala, okay, who told me that uh, 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 from 80, but had lived in Congo, Brazzaville, uh, Congo, Kinshasa, DRC. So in the church in Central Africa, we have a church in DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo, which is like the pillar church, leading churches in six countries, 16 churches, over 2,000 members. Particularity in this church, in this region, sorry, is that for a long time, with over 2,000 members, they only had three people working on staff or serving full-time on staff, taking care of over 2,000 members. Recently, they had two more couples hired, okay, to join. And one of those couples, I remember meeting them at a conference where they traveled for six days just to get to a venue to get their faith strengthened and encouraged. Six days by road and even by sea and six days back. The realities in that region are very challenging. So please pray for the work in Central Africa. The Gabon is one of those churches. Most of the churches there are led by people who are not on staff at all. And I'm going to say something about that sooner or later. And now in French West Africa, we have over 3,000 members, Abidjan being the pillar church, and we have 20 churches there. Uh, at the top right, I was there in June for a ministry training academy program, which we did. At the bottom right, with two other teachers, Emmanuel from Lagos and Philbert from uh, Abidjan. So a lot of, there, there are lots of churches growing, but there's a need to strengthen. There's a need to help Christians be strong and faithful in their faith. So now let's jump into 
English West Africa to close out 34 churches, over 4,000 members. And here on the picture uh, at the top right, we have a school of mission in Lagos, Nigeria. And guess what it is called? It is called the Nietzsche Oguire School of Missions. Amen. In honor of a hero of faith. And of, and of course, we know, I know that they spent many, many years. He spent many, many years. And I met also his wife this morning. It's incredible. And so this school serves the training and raising up of young leaders. And at this moment, we've already had graduates who've gone out and are leading many churches across English-speaking West Africa. So that's it for the news. Right now, let's jump back into telling your story. Remember the story you are a part of. So we're going to be telling our story. We're going to be sharing what God is doing in our lives. But I want to just remind us that in telling our story, there is a need to remember that we are part of a much bigger story. And so you see in Genesis 12, the Lord has said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people, all peoples, all nations, all tribes, groups of people on earth will be blessed through you. Amen, brothers and sisters. The beauty about Genesis, the book of Genesis, this year I spent the first part of this year studying the entire Old Testament. And the amazing thing about Genesis is that God started, starts out Genesis by laying out his plan for humanity. In Genesis chapter 1, we know after creating everything, he now created man in his own image. And he lays out the fact that he has a purpose for mankind. But we know that when you go down into Genesis, a few chapters down the road, you find the story of Noah in chapter 6 with the flood. We know what happened. And God had to start all over again with Noah and his family. God wanted to restore creation to his original purpose. His purpose is simple. is creating us in his image. His goal is that we will reflect him. That we will know him. And we will reflect him around us, in our neighborhood, where we work, wherever we are, that will be a reflection of his character. And so, uh, it's important that we know the difference between purpose and mission. Okay? Our purpose is to know God. We often say it in Lagos, to know God and to make him known, right? Okay? So, he wants us to know him, to reflect him, and then spread the knowledge of him all around us. Now, that's his purpose. But then in the process of spreading the knowledge of him, you know, that purpose now gets converted into a mission. But you have no mission if you don't start with purpose. Purpose is knowing God. Purpose is reflecting him. And so he lays out in Genesis 1 his grand purpose for mankind and what happens here in Genesis 12 is that he starts narrowing down that purpose. He now chooses Abraham with his wife and decides to create a nation. And out of this nation, Israel, 
He wants to now use this nation to make himself known to all the nations. So God works systematically. So Abraham, and later on you see in Exodus, he chooses Moses and the people of Israel in chapter 19. He tells them, I will make you a kingdom of priests. Okay? And we know that scripture shows up later on in 1 Peter chapter 2. So you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. And your job is to make known God. Make, his, make known the excellence of who God is. And so brothers and sisters, our mission emanates from our purpose of knowing God. That's why God chooses Abraham and goes on to work through him. And so it's important that even as we talk at this time about our mission in Christ, we got to know that our story and our mission today is part of a much bigger story. And that's why when you move on, you now see that in Matthew, for example, Matthew introduces Jesus as a fulfillment of what God had said in Genesis 12. That I'll make you a blessing to the nations. And so it starts by the genealogy and just recounts who Jesus is. We're very familiar with Matthew 28, which you're going to see very soon. But the whole idea is that, brothers and sisters, we are part of a much bigger story. It is important that we understand that we're, whatever we're doing today, whatever we're reaching out to people, we got to understand that it's part of a much bigger plan and purpose. And so in Matthew 28, of course, Jesus came and told the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Because of that, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, if you take this scripture in the context of Genesis 12, which we just saw, he's basically saying, I am here. I've come to fulfill Genesis 12 to be a blessing to all nations. And not only have I come to do that, but I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling you in to become partners. Okay? I'm pulling you in to perpetuate the work. And so he asks them to go to all nations, make disciples, baptizing them, And he goes on to say, teaching them to obey everything I have taught you. I want to make something uh, very clear at this point. Is that part of telling this big story, brothers and sisters, is also allowing ourselves to be trained. Allowing ourselves, you know, to be trained on how to even go about telling the story. So, I've just shared my story and I've shared the places I go to to go encourage, to go strengthen. But let me tell you, brothers and sisters, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. I wouldn't be where I am today with, without people like Uncle Richard, without people like the Hervé Florence, without people like Dr. Michael, okay? i never forget, in hospital, he told me, Gilbert, you might have come to Germany to study engineering, but the more I spend time with you and in the Word, I have the impression that God has a bigger plan. I have the impression that it doesn't limit itself to you studying engineering, having a good job, having a family, and taking care of yourself. I get the impression that God has a bigger plan. And so he was able to communicate that vision to me. And two years down the road, when I heard about the missions team that was going to leave Abidjan to go start the work in Cameroon, where I was born, I jumped on the train and I joined that missions team. But I'm just saying, people have had 
their impact and they continue to have their impact in my life. And I wouldn't be here without people in my life. I love the book by uh, Sam Lang. He talks about the seven relationships we need to make heaven. He said you need a visionary. You need somebody who sees you with the eyes of God. You need a prophet, somebody who tells you the truth. The truth you sometimes don't like to hear, but people who will look at you and in love tell you the truth. So you need an advisor, okay? People who have experience. Proverbs talks about advice, right? Okay, where there are many advisors, projects succeed. And so you need advisor, you need a soulmate like Jonathan and David, right? You need a coach, you need a mentor, and not only do you need a coach, a mentor, but you also need mentees. So whatever you're learning, you're able to pass it on to others. So I, I, I know coming out of COVID, same thing in Lagos, Nigeria. That whole period of COVID, even being able to come back to physical service, not now talking about meeting together in our homes to encourage one another, uh, in Lagos, we're currently working on one another relationships. Okay, there are over 50 scriptures in the Bible talking about one another relationships. And so in this scripture, when he says, teaching them to obey everything, it is that part of this commandment that we cannot neglect. Let me tell you, I've been part of meetings where we needed help in Lagos, and we called Uncle Richard. So Uncle Richard, we need your advice. So here we are, 11 hours flights away across the Atlantic, reaching out to gain from the experience that Uncle Richard and Sarah have. I just want to take this advantage to say, please don't take that for granted. Please make good use of it. Make good use of the opportunity because we need, we need each other. We, need, we can practice Christianity. It's a relationship thing. Okay, when you look at even the Old Testament, God constantly established covenants. Be it with, with, with Abraham, uh, sorry, with Adam and Eve, and then Noah, with the rainbow, and then with Abraham, and then with Moses, and then with David. And then we today, we are what they call, we're in the new covenant established by Jesus. But covenant is all about relationship with God and with one another. Okay, as I studied the Old Testament in the past many months, I had three things I was looking out for. In each book of the Bible, in Genesis, I saw God the creator. Okay, so I was looking out for who is God in this particular book. And I'm looking out for who is God's people? Who are they? Okay, in Exodus, they were the Israelites, chosen and set apart. So, and then the third thing is, what are God's expectations for his people? He expects us to live up to the expectations of the covenant. In the covenant, God reaches out. He initiates. And he pours blessings upon his people. And then he says, in return, what he expects, he expects loyalty. He expects obedience. Say, look, I've taken you across the Red Sea. I've done all these miracles for you. And in return, what I expect from you is be a holy people. And so he has expectations in return. And it's about relationship with him and with 
each other. Then our mission emanates from who God is and who we are in him. That's the Christian life. And without that understanding, the mission becomes dry. You get to a point where you start asking yourself, why am I supposed to evangelize? What am I supposed to do? But when you understand the big story, it motivates. It gives you a reason why you do what you do. Amen, brothers and sisters. And so, this is just a big picture. So, the second thing I want to talk about is, not only do we need to understand that we're part of a bigger story, we also need to be intentional about telling our story and about leaving out the story. I love this scripture. It says, just as you received Christ, Colossians 2 verse 6, uh, Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Okay? Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. In this scripture, brothers and sisters, what I see is, I want to talk about the early Christians. Uh, the first century uh, my wife and I, we're passionate about history. So we've been to Israel to visit and study the history, the culture, and at times even the geography. Okay? When I went to Turkey, I was blown away by the geography of a particular region. Uh, this whole scripture of, I'd rather have you be hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. Okay? And I never realized that that scripture had to do with the geography of a particular region where there's a, there's a hillside country, Erapolis. They have something like snow, but it's actually a chemical, some sodium bicarbonate that actually melts and forms hot water springs. And lots of tourists flock there to go swim in hot water. It actually has healing uh, uh, qualities. It's therapeutic. It exists till date. I was there last year again. And so when this water melts and flows, it gets to another city called Laodicea, some miles down the road. And when it gets to Laodicea, the hot water of Erapolis that flows some 10 kilometers, or we talk about miles in America, right? So miles down the road, when it gets to Laodicea, the water is no more hot. The water is now lukewarm. And then it continues to flow and further down it gets to another city, ancient city called Colossae. And that's where the book of Colossians was, you know, comes from. When it gets to Colossae, the water is no more hot as in Erapolis, which is also a biblical city mentioned in the book of Colossians. When it gets to Laodicea, it's lukewarm. But in Colossae, the water is cold. And so, for many years, I I believed and I even preached that when the scripture talks about I'd rather have you be hot or cold, I even used to say that God would rather have you and I stop coming to church. That means we are completely cold. We're not interested. Then have us come to church, but we're not committed. It's like having one leg in and one leg out. That's what I preached for many, many years. But when I got there and I understood the context, the context was that in the first century, the hot water had medicinal value, was viewed as useful. The cold water in Colossae was viewed as also useful. If you're really thirsty, these days are really hot. 
you can drink, you can take a cold bath, you can refresh yourself. But the problem was the lukewarm water in Colossae, sorry, in Laodicea. Jesus was like, you guys are becoming lukewarm like your water. And the real problem was lukewarm water is neither useful like the hot nor the cold. So he was talking about the fact that they were becoming useless. So the context is about the need to be useful for God. And God is saying, if you're not useful for him, hey, he said, if you don't repent, I'm going to throw you out. You know, I, I'm having some nausea because of your, your, you're becoming useless. And so we don't want to be in that place, brothers and sisters. He's not saying we should stop coming to church. We should be uncommitted. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, while we're here, we need to make ourselves useful for him. Are we together, brothers and sisters? It's about usefulness. And so, as a Bible teacher, I'm, I'm, I'm increasingly seeing the value of understanding context. And even in the, in the area of context, the early Christians, to be honest with you, I studied the early Christians a bit more, and I noticed that for them, being a Christian back then was not exactly the way we view uh, was, it's not exactly the way we view Christianity today is that when we think about being a Christian today, the question is, how many visitors did you have in church? Uh, how many studies do you have? Uh, how many people have you converted? All those things are very important. Don't get me wrong. But in the first century, when they thought about being a Christian, they were thinking about the teachings of Jesus and how they were practicing them. Is it John 13 when he says, love one another as I have loved you? Okay, the standard is Jesus' kind of love. Is it, uh, I mean, it could, it could be applied to, so is it the, the Sermon on the Mount? The challenging part of that Sermon on the Mount, you agree with me, is where he says, you should love your enemies and pray for them. It's all challenging, but that part I find the most challenging. To get to the point where you can pray for your enemies. People that you know really wish evil. That something goes wrong with you. And you're able to love them and even pray for them. Rather than curse them, he says pray for them. And so for them in the first century, being a Christian meant practicing those deep teachings. Simple but very deep concepts like love, like patience, like perseverance. And so, one of the stories I really love is how during the Roman Empire, there was this, do they call it the Black Death? A disease, an epidemic, just like COVID that we had, you know. So, there was this incredible disease. And what happened was that most of the Romans, the pagans, were fleeing from the city and going to hide in their rich country houses. And so, the Christians now thought, should we also flee? like the others, and they were now reminded of the teachings of Jesus. And because of that reminder, they decided to take care of each other in very challenging circumstances. People were dying left and right. They risked their lives. Just like health workers have been so heroic during this entire COVID period, they risked their lives. But the amazing thing is that they not only took care of each other, but they took care of even the Romans and the pagans and historians 
like uh, Cyprian and others do recount that many, many Romans got converted to Christianity because of what they saw in the Christians. There's even one of the governors, one of the high-ranking guys, uh, a Roman, he said, look, I, I cannot stand those Christians. But one thing I cannot deny is the amazing love they have. He said, they love each other and they even love us better than, they take care of us better than the way we take care of each other. And that's what really moved the hearts and made Christianity rise in the first century. So what I'm just trying to say with all of this is that beyond the telling of our story, beyond the evangelism, beyond the fact, to, the fact that we need to talk about our story, understand it, I think our lives are the greatest story. Back in Nigeria, we love saying that our lives are sometimes the only Bible that some people will read. Before you open up the scriptures with your neighbors, with your colleagues, and so on, they've already read the Bible from the life you live. And so, as we go through the season of trying to restore our hearts as missionaries, let's watch out the way we live. Are we, brothers, are we together, brothers and sisters? In conclusion, let's also use even daily conversations. Let's use daily conversations as opportunities. Is it Jesus interacting with Nicodemus, for example? Or is it Jesus interacting with the Samaritan woman? Okay, uh, we know John chapter 4. Okay, the story of Jesus. It started out with just a simple request. Give me some water to drink. But we know how that conversation developed. And in the process of conversing from just give me some water it got to the point where this woman got convicted and she now went to tell the story to the other people and say, come and see a man who has told me everything I have done. So the point I want to make here is let's use daily conversations. Okay? It can be just a simple conversation at work with your colleague or with your neighbors or sitting in the subway. Let's, use, let's take advantage of daily conversations to bring in the story of God. Jesus did that a lot in his ministry. Uh, I just talked about Gabon, coming back from Gabon a few weeks ago. I remember going there and teaching the first class, which I did was a class for professionals, uh, kind of like equipping professionals to be excellent at work and to use their lives to make an impact, even in their professional circles. And I remember having a conversation with... Uh, a young man whose wife is already a member of the church, but he is not. And he came to that seminar. After the lesson, he came to meet me, just sharing about how it helped him. And I remember we stood there and went on, on a long conversation. And let me just tell you that, to cut the long story short, a week or two later on, that was last week, I received pictures and images sent to me of him being baptized. Okay. He had been stuck, okay? He had been kind of stuck even in his Bible studies, but it took some of those conversations to really go deep and free him up of some of the things that were stopping him. I want to believe that there are people maybe here or online who really want to commit themselves to Christ, but there are things that are holding them back. My prayer is that even in our conversations, people like that will get the kind of help that they need. The Bible says in Proverbs 20 verse 5, that the thoughts of a man are like deep waters, right? I think it takes wisdom, 
okay, to bring out what is deep in there. So brothers and sisters, in summary, what am I saying this morning? I'm saying we need, number one, to remember that our story, I was so moved yesterday uh, just hearing my brother Winston share his story, hearing Rick share his story. I believe that if we had time, we might just have a Sunday where people just come up here and share their conversion story. We've been doing some of that in Lagos where people just come and share their story. And you get to realize that in every conversion story, you see the fingerprint of God. And so let's not keep those stories to ourselves. Our stories are incredible icebreakers. Let's share those stories. But to do that, we need to remember that our story is part of a much bigger story. Let's remember what story you are a part of. It started in Genesis. It's about knowing God. It's about reflecting him. And so our mission now has meaning when we know God and we have that character, we have that life, that we can follow it up. The brother who reached out to me, the doctor, I remember when he told me that he was a Christian. After a couple of conversations, medical, back and forth, about me taking blood or not, and then there was a day he told me, I'm a Christian. And then he wanted to open the Bible with me. In my heart of hearts, I'd been in hospital for many months. I was there for a year. I told myself, I've seen all kinds of doctors and nurses while I'm here. But I kept thinking, before he even told me, I kept thinking, there is something different about this doctor. So the day he told me, I'm a Christian. In my heart of hearts, I told myself, I want his version of Christianity. I've grown up religious my whole life, living a very hypocritical life. I was a mass servant as a Catholic. I almost became a priest, but at the same time, I was the one stealing at home. If there are young people here, I was the one who would go and pull out money from my, from my dad's pocket, and he would know. Okay? I went into some very shameful things as a student, going to prostitutes, doing some really horrible stuff that I'm even ashamed to mention. I attempted committing incest at some point with a cousin of mine while we're living with our grand, grandparents. Horrible things. But I was very religious on the outside. And so when I met this doctor and just watching him and watching his life, when he mentioned, I'm a Christian, I signed up immediately. In fact, he tells me till date that he's one of those rare people before when we're studying the Bible, before we got to do what you call the sin study, okay? Talk about sin and then share and confess. He said, before we got to the sin study, I'd already shared my entire life with him. So the sin study was done before we even got there. Because from the moment he told me he's a Christian, in my heart I said, this version of Christianity is what I want. So for the first century Christians, you don't want to say you're a Christian if you're not living up to the life. Living up to Jesus' life. So let's remember, but also let's be intentional. Not only about telling, but especially about living. And to God be the glory. Thank you.
Let's go on at this point, brothers and sisters, as we remember Jesus and his sacrifice. And because of that sacrifice, the expectation he has for us to live lives that are worthy of his sacrifice, let's pray for the communion. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be reminded of the fact that our story is a part of a bigger story. Thanks for giving us a purpose in life. Thanks for allowing us to learn from the life of Abraham and all these people that have gone ahead of us and to realize that till date, that big story continues to be written. I pray that, Father, our lives will be like that additional chapter in the book of Acts. There are 28 chapters. I pray that we can leave out Acts chapter 29. I pray that as we take bread and take the wine, reminding ourselves of Jesus, of his love, of his teachings, of his commitment, I pray that we'll commit to live the life throughout this week, throughout this month, throughout this year, and all the way. Take the glory and the honor as you bless this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.